Um, and, and that's what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to be reading out of Mark today, um, Mark 8, 31 through 34. You know, a lot of the times when, when this happened to Jesus, the disciples didn't have an understanding in their mind of what this was going to look like. They, they always pulled from their mind of what they expected it to look like, what they expected to happen in the process Jesus went through in his life. And he kept, he predicted many times to them of his death, but they still didn't understand the fullness of it. So we're going to start in Mark 31 through 34, and Jesus predicts his, predicts his death. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead as he talked about this openly with his disciples. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. And in verse 33, Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan. He said, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And I think that's so important. And even as we go on to 34, um, they were trying to grasp this in their mind. And not through the, the spirit, what the prophecies, everything that had happened even before this time, they were trying to understand it and they weren't understanding what Jesus was telling them. He was preparing them. You know, that's the way Jesus does with us too. He starts preparing us through a process of our future, of things to come. And this is what he was doing with his disciples. He was so sweet. I thought this was so sweet of him to say, hey, look, this is what's going to happen. And he started preparing them in their hearts. Then on verse 34, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. I think that's even for today. If you want to follow the Lord, you've got to give up your own way. And many of us don't want to give up our own way. That's the hardest thing for us. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. We can't be ashamed of the gospel. We can't be embarrassed to preach the word of God and hit the streets and preach the good news. I'm not talking about preach from a burn or, or turn, turn away or burn. I'm talking about let's preach the good news of what he's done for us, that there's change trying to come to give up our own ways. It's like, will you leave your own ways to follow me? And he's asking some of you that this morning. He's asking those that are watching on the live stream, will you give up your own ways to follow him? Ribashit 
Jesus went through a process, even in Mark 9, to, uh, 9 of chapter 9, verses 2 through 4, there was a transfiguration. The transfiguration had to happen. It was, it was a meeting between heaven and earth to bring transformation. I think that's one of the greatest things that we have the opportunity to do, even starting today, to begin to let the Lord transform you. Let's start in verse 2. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appeared was, appearance was transformed. See, many of you come with the sinful ways, but then the Lord touches you, and you're transformed. This was a representation of what the body of Christ was going to look like. That when he went through this transformation, his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. He had to go through the transformation because it was a representation of us going through transformation. That's why when the Lord looks at us, he looks at us without a blemish. He looks at us without the sinful nature. He looks at us uh, pure and clean because we, when we allow ourselves to give up our own way, to come through transformation with the Holy Spirit, then we're made new. And when you're made new, you, you're supposed to look just like him with the dazzling white, looking pure to the Lord. And then, you know, the mountain, it was the same mountain as Exodus 3, 5 of Moses that he went to. It was a mountain of the meeting place for them to meet with heaven. And it was the same mountain Moses and the burning bush where he took off his sandals and standing on the holy ground. There was representation of us being able to go up to that same mountain to be transformed. See, the mountain to me represents intimacy. When Moses went up there, he had an intimate moment with the burning bush that it was evident to him that God was real. You have to have your mountain moment with God. Where you go up to a higher place and you come to him and you get rid of your own ways and you say, God, I just surrender everything to you. What, what Moses had to have a surrenderance in his heart to believe and receive of the burning bush that day. There had to be a surrendering of himself to take on what God was trying to give him of his purpose and his destiny. Then in Mark 30 through 32, he comes and tells them again. Jesus again predicts his death. Leaving that region, they traveled to Galilee, and Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there. He wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but in three days later, he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying, however. They were afraid to ask him what he meant. See, they didn't understand the resurrection power. They hadn't seen it. It hadn't even, they, it happened with Lazarus, and that was the closest thing that came to it. But they were still in their mind, not understanding. And he told them plainly, prepare yourselves. This is going to happen. This is really going to happen. 
in Mark 15, 16 to 20, the soldiers began to mock Jesus. And the soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they saluted him and taunted him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again, and they led him away to be crucified. See, the, the, the most powerful thing in this part was because de- God came in demonstration of what the kingdom was supposed to look like. And that part where it says they took him to the governor's headquarters, we're talking about the government of heaven was birthed in this place right here. Because when he died, he took back everything the enemy stole. So he had to go to the governor's headquarters for them to mock him, for them to make fun of him. And then they came taunting him like, you know, spitting on him and doing all this stuff. And then they don't even know that at the end of all of this, that the government of heaven would be the most powerful thing ever that Jesus would take back when he died. And that's for like a now time for us to grab onto now. Mark 15, 21 through 31. The passerby by Simeon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine, drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and thrust dice to decide who would get each piece. And it was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. A A sign announced the charge against him, and it read, the king of the Jews Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on the left. And the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, then save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked him. He saved others, and they scoffed, but can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. I want to talk about that just for a moment. See, to this day, some of us go through this kind of stuff. Jesus was letting us know we were going to be ridiculed. We were going to be judged at times for our belief system and how we believe. And he had to go through this so that way we could understand of what Jesus was teaching us through his crucifixion of how we were going to be able to take back even from what What the enemy, I'm sorry, my stuff's messing up here, but what the enemy had stolen, even from that, even from that day, the place of the skull, 
Why was it the place of the skull? It was the place because the skull represents the mind. That when he went through the crucifixion, he was taking us to have uh, power over our mind. It was breakthrough for your thinking. He had to go back. Why? Because, because the people, because Rimashiti, because even the people, the people that had mocked him that day, they were not non-believers. It wasn't like people didn't know the prophecies. It wasn't people that were, that were living bad. It was, it was the ones that had walked in the word who knew the prophecies. It was, a, it was supposed to be the believers at that time. And then he comes in. He's like, I'm going to go the, to, the, to the mountain. I'm going to go where the skull's at because I'm going to break that mind of yours of what you knew to be. From the day of Moses, that what you knew to be, I was going to come and I'm going to crush that. And I'm going to give you a new covenant and a new way of thinking that you can't even imagine. They, had, they knew the prophecies and they still didn't believe it. They couldn't. Unbelief is so demonic. It was unbelief that they were dealing with, that they couldn't believe that the Messiah was in front of them. But they had been prophesying about it, talking about it for years of him coming. And then he finally comes, and they still didn't get it. Some of us, Jesus shows up to us in our own lives, and we don't even acknowledge his presence being with us. But it's time that we do. On Mark 15, 33 through 38, the death of Jesus. At noon, dark fell across the, the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus, then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Elohi, Elohi, Lima Sabachthalein, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah, one of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said. Let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered, uttered another loud cry and breathed his last breath. And the, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. This is so powerful because this is the connection that he gives us with the heavens. When it came torn down, it was the old temple. It was the old mindset. He went and he went and he crushed the skull. Then he went and the, 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 the veil was completely torn down in the temple that we could cross over. See, religion has you for a long time on this side of the cross and has you seen the death and the crucifixion part. But then what happens is he says, no, it's not over yet. You can stand there, you can weep, and you can cry over the beating and over every stripe he did for me and you. Um, they were talking about this earlier, and they were saying about him saying it was finished. And John said in 1928 through 30, it says, it is finished. After this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. 
that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it in hibiscus, a uh, uh, hyssop, and put it on his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. The and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. It is finished. We cannot add and we cannot take away to the, of the cross. It's finished. It's a done deal. It's accomplished. It doesn't just end there. You know, when I was in my religion, I stood at the cross and I would see Jesus dead there on the cross. But I didn't understand the other side. I didn't understand there was life after death. None of, many people will get to that point where they understand the crucifixion. They understand the beatings and, and everything he went through. But then they can't go past that. And I remember when I, I was first getting to know the Lord, I remember <laughs> my husband would tell me, he would say, why are you crying so much? He's alive. And I was like, because look at everything he went through. Look at all the stuff he had to do just for every one of us. And I would weep and I would cry. And because I didn't understand the other side of the cross. And then in Mark 16, 1 through 19, this is the other side of the cross. This is what we're supposed to be walking in. This is the, 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 the part two. <laughs> <laughs> the resurrection Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended Mary Magdalene Mary and the mother James and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus's body very early on the morning of Sunday morning just at sunrise they went to the tomb and on the way they were asking each other who will roll away the tomb for us from the entrance to the tomb but as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And the women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. <laughs> Look at this, where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is ahead of you to Galilee, and you will see him there, just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too afraid. Can you imagine, like you just experienced this powerful angel, the body's no longer there. You know, I, I was reading up on, on what they would say about the whole, um, the, the part of the tomb that was rolled away, the, the stone was so heavy back then. It was like impossible to move, like you needed a good amount of people to move it to move the stone and th just that in itself the movement of the stone was powerful it, it was just that part and it was moved on purpose because God wanted them to see that he was no longer there and that what he had been telling him in the beginning of Mark I'm gonna 
the, Jesus is going to have to go through some things, but he's going to resurrect in three days. He wanted this, them to understand and see how real it was. After Jesus rode from, rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he cast out seven demons. Isn't that powerful? Look at, the, look at the representation of that. Seven demons came out of her, which represents the completion. And she's the first one that, show, that saw Jesus when he completed the task of the crucifixion. Isn't that powerful? She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and he had seen them, they didn't believe her. Unbelief. Afterwards, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country, and they rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. Still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together, and he rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes is baptized and will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety and drink any kind of poisonous. It won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. And when the Lord Jesus had finished ta uh, talking with them, he, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached. And the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many mir miraculous signs. We have this option now. He gave us access to perform miracles. And it doesn't matter anything else because when we get saved, it was unbelief that fell on them, that they couldn't believe all that Jesus had done. But then when they saw him again, this is why it's so important of intimacy with the Lord. Because every time you see him, every time you go to that spot of intimacy with the Father, you see him again. You experience him again in the presence of Holy Spirit. And then it becomes evident to you how real he is. And then you can move in power of signs and wonders and healing. Even to this day, you can pray for people and they will be healed. That's what he died for. That's what he gave his life for. That's why he went through everything. That we would be empowered for a now time, a now day to move in power because the kingdom of God is at hand right now, this very second, this very moment that we can move in power. He did not die so you could serve at a church and sit in a pew and sit in a chair. He died so you could move in power with his glorious Holy Spirit. Spirit, and you would begin to bring down heaven to earth and bring transformation, not only for yourself, but a transformation for a whole generation. It's not just about us. It's a generational God that gave up everything for many generations to come. Shinanabrashati. 
John 14, 15 through 31, it talks about Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. In 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. And it doesn't even recognize him. But you know him because he lives in you now. And later will be in you. Now I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you, and soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me since I live in you. Also, when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I'm in you. And those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to, the, to each of them. There's a revealing that he wants to do to you. You know, all my life I grew up with religion. And I didn't understand to see him. And I, and I was standing at the cross many times of the crucifixion. And when I crossed over to the resurrection part, to the part of life, you're not supposed to be dead in your spirit. You're supposed to be alive, full of excitement. And I learned that today's a day of celebration of life. It's not a celebration of his death. It's a celebration of his life that we could move in power. We have Holy Spirit that we can see him and that he's in us. He's in all of you. If you've been saved, he's in you. John 14, 12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. He went to be with the Father because he wanted to leave us, Holy Spirit, that we would do greater things than even he did. And when those greater things come, we have to believe them. We can't be in unbelief any longer. Religion and unbelief have ruled the earth for way too long. And it's time for us to begin to believe again I believe it was January that the Lord spoke to me about the blood and how we needed to get back to the power of the blood that he shed for us. Why, does, do, why do we have to get back to that place? Because the blood was not just shed so we could have church. The blood was shed so we could move in power and, and bring heaven to earth to begin to move, move things of the Holy Spirit. See, he didn't stay seated down, Jesus. He walked the earth and demonstrating power of his goodness, of God's goodness for the people. He didn't just stay at his house and hang out. <laughs> he didn't just come to church and be cute. He walked the earth in power, demonstrating, bringing miraculous signs and wonders and bringing healing and all these things to a body that, that they could see what he did. That we, Why did he do everything his father told him to do? Everything he saw and he did, he did what his father told him to do and say. Why? Because we were supposed to do the same thing. 
We are supposed to do and say everything Holy Spirit tells us to do and to say. <laughs> Let's go to Isaiah 53.5. I was sitting there in worship and I was getting some more scriptures and things and I was trying to write them down as fast as I could. I don't think I, I got to get that one. So I'm going to look it up real quick. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and, his, and by his stripes we are healed. You're healed. If you're here today and you're sick, God wants to heal you. If it, he took everything on himself that we don't have to walk in sickness. And you have to begin to speak healing out of your mouth. It begins with what you speak because what you speak has power. If you get up in the morning and you don't feel well, you got to speak it. And you got to begin to agree with heaven and say, I'm not going to be sick. I don't, I don't receive this sickness. You agree with it. The more you talk about your sickness and the more that you uh, condone it and agree with it and entertain the sickness, you, you may not even understand that you entertain sickness, but you entertain it every time you say that you are sick. So you have to disconnect from that, and you have to say, I'm not going to be sick. I'm going to be healed because by his stripes I'm healed. He died on the cross. The blood that he shed for all of us was a powerful thing, and the blood has power in it, power to heal, power to make things shift and move, that heaven would come to earth, and we would be a, an empowered body of Christ of generations to come that have understanding of the real power of who he is. Let's just stand this morning. I always like to start out things with Thanksgiving, right? It doesn't have to be Thanksgiving to be in Thanksgiving. <laughs> but we thank you, Lord, for what you did on the cross for each and every one of us, God. God, maybe some of us are in here. We don't understand the resurrection side, the crossing over of the cross, God. Maybe we've been told all our lives, God, that it stops at the crucifixion, God. And that's all we were taught. That's all we learned, God. But I pray this morning, God, that you would help us, Holy Spirit, to move into the other side of the cross, Lord. If there's you, if there's people in here this morning that want to cross over to the resurrection side of life of the cross, just come up and receive this morning. If you want to give your life to the Lord and you don't even know what that looks like, and you're like, God, I don't even know what does it look like to give my life to you, is to get rid of your own ways. Get rid of your own thinking, your own ways, your own process, how you were brought up, how you were taught. It's not going to match up to the kingdom. It's not going to match up to what you have in your mind. It never will. But when you surrender to him, and see, this is all he's asking from you this morning. 
Will you surrender your heart to me? Will you give me all of your heart this morning? Not just pieces, but all of it. Will you give it all to me? Will you give me your family? Will you give me your relatives? Will you give me those that don't even know me yet? Will you give it all to me? Will you lay it at the altar this morning? Because it means more to him if he has your heart than anything else. You don't have to be perfect and have it all together. He's looking for your heart. And he's like, if you just give me your heart, I can help you with everything else. I can help you with your addictions. I can help you with your sickness. I can help you with the not understanding the word. I can help you in those areas if you just give me your heart. Just give me your whole heart. And if that's you, just come up to give him your whole heart this morning. That's all he's asking for. He's not asking for you to be perfect and and to be flawless. I think that was one of the hardest things for me to do, being brought up in a religious mindset, is that I thought I had to have it all together and be perfect before I could receive him. And that was such a lie from the pit of hell. Because he says, no, come as you are. Come as you are to the cross. That when you come to the cross, that you can cross over from the crucifixion. It's, it's, it's the putting everything on the cross. Your problems, your sickness, your addictions, everything goes on that cross. Just envision it right now as you're standing there. Even those that are watching online, like just say, man, I just take my addictions and I put them on the cross, Lord. God, my thoughts that I have sometimes that are not pure, I I put them on the cross this morning, God. Uh, My sickness, I put it on the cross this morning, God, because there's power in the cross, God. And once I put it on the cross, I give it to you. God, and I surrender it to you, Lord, at the cross. My insecurities, my identity, my purpose, and my destiny, God, I put it on the cross this morning that you can do way more with it than I could ever do, God. And once you put that thing on the cross, Whatever it is that's holding you back this morning, whatever it is that's, that's been lying to you to keep you from your Jesus, your God, and your Holy Spirit, whatever it is that's causing a blockage for you in your mind, put it on the cross this morning. And then walk across to the other side this morning. And receive his resurrection of life. And receive the light of his power of who he is and his glory. That you step into the place of his glory. And you're like, I'm just going to step into the place of your glory, Lord. Like on the mountain of transfiguration, God. When that glory came on top of the mountain, God, and transformed you, God. God, I step into transformation this morning, God. That you would transform transform my mind, transform my spirit, transform me completely, God, that I look just like you, that when I talk, I talk like you, God, that when I walk, I can walk with my head up and my back straight because of what you did for me on the cross, Lord.
See, there's more than just salvation on that cross. There's power that you're supposed to be walking in after the cross. That you go past the cross into that power of resurrection life that falls upon you in the glory. In the, in the moment of transformation, something happens to you. And, and, and you begin to understand that you were called more than just to be just another believer. You were called not just to be a Christian. You were called not to just be whatever religion you've been in your life. But you were called to be a son and a daughter of the Most High. And he wants to transform your life this morning. And he's like, let me touch you. Let me show you the other side. Because you've been over here at the cross for way too long. You've been dealing with your sin. You've been dealing with your addictions. You've been dealing with all that hard stuff for too long. And surrender it to me. Give it to me so I can transform you. And after transformation, then you walk in glory with the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes Lord you know there was something significant that happened that day on Calvary there was two men that were on the cross next to Jesus and one of them provoked and taunted Jesus paraphrasing hey if you're the king get us off of here but there was another man that was on the other side and he said remember me when to enter into thy kingdom and Jesus response to him was from this day you shall be with me in paradise see there's something about it's not about a, things that we do or how we how many times you go to church but it's a revelation of who he is as a king of kings. And see, today I believe everybody is in here is for a divine timing of the Lord. We want to give an opportunity to say this. If you have never asked Jesus in your heart, today's your day. Listen, I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to become a holy roller. Hey, if that happens, praise God. It works for some and not for others. But what I am saying is that there's a Jesus, there's a Father who loves you so much. And he's extending an invitation for you today on this day of resurrection that you would be made whole and that you would be a new creation in him. That on that day, you would reign in eternity forever with the King of Kings. If there's anybody in here that would say, I don't know Jesus. I don't know. I, I, I've been in church all my life. I've gone to Sunday services, but I've never asked him in my heart. Listen, would you say that's me? Would you just raise your hand? Because I want to pray with you today. You didn't come to church just to do another service. But you came because there's a divine appointment that God has for you today. If there's anybody else that would say that's you, would you raise your hand this morning? Don't be shy. Today's your day. 
Praise God. I'm going to pray. If I can get our ministry team to please pray with this couple that's over here. Please. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing, Lord. For this word that was that was released this morning, God. Lord, that you would seal that word, God. Lord, and I just declare that, that even now there's a hunger that's being put inside of us, Lord, to search after you, to seek you first, God. Lord, we thank you for who you are, for your resurrection, Lord. We thank you for choosing us, God, for your son. Lord, you're so good. You're so beautiful, Jesus. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Listen. (laughs) Before we leave, don't go anywhere. We have on the side of the building, we've got tables set up. We've got the barbecue pits going. We've got meat. We've got food. We've got sides. We have all kinds of stuff, and everybody is invited to come and eat and celebrate with us the resurrection of King Jesus. Amen.